This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. Today's guest, Zane Briggs, has been helping people achieve their optimal health since 1998 as a personal trainer. But in his new book, co-authored with Dr. Ken Berry, Kicking a Swear Word After 50, we're going to be talking about how do we can optimize our health as we age. We know that it isn't the same in your 20s as it is in your 50s. There's a lot to talk about, so let's dive in. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Decentralized Radio. Today, we have an exciting podcast lined up for you. We have Zane Griggs on the line. Zane, how's it going? Great, Tristan. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, great to talk to you again. And we have our lovely co-host, as always, Ryan. How are you doing today? Man, I'm great. I'm excited. I'm glad we're testing out um, how we're going to be doing the podcast for the next month as you are going to be camping the entire <laughs> time. So we're running, we're, running, we're running it for the first go, but... Should, it seems to work okay. Your face is very big in frame, so everyone want to get a good view of your forehead. Uh, it'll be great. It's, it's going to be good, yeah. Uh, we're going to get even more decentralized here on, on Decentralized Radio. But Zane, yeah, we, we connected down in Costa Rica um, a couple of years ago now. It's yeah. crazy how much time has already passed. So animal-based animal right. mindset. But more excitingly, you've just co-written a book, right, um, about how to stay yeah. healthy after – Kicking ass after 50. There we go. Kicking ass after 50. Kicking ass 50. after 50. There it is. 50. The big five zero right there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Kicking Ass After 50 with Ken Barry, my co-author. So it's that was uh, – he's also over 50. So it was kind of a, a, a coming together of saying, hey, what can we do for guys our age who are just – you know, there's a lot of us struggling who aren't – necessarily been take, haven't been taking care of themselves this far. Uh, but I want to just turn things around or people looking forward to like your age and they're saying, Hey, I want to, I want to do better than what I saw my parents doing or what I see a lot of 50 year olds doing right now and start thinking about what that looks like and start planning ahead. I, which I recommend, <laughs> actually, I don't recommend waiting until 50, you know, start yeah. now. Uh, but yeah, I think that's great. That was, uh, I mean, that it's awesome. I know you've been doing the, you know, healthy after 50 uh, kind of post for a while. And I love to see it because especially, you know, it's it's important to kind of uh, apply to this, you know, demographic where I feel like for the longest time, people are just kind of like, oh, well, after a certain age, you know, you just can't do anything or it goes downhill. Um, and I want to get into that. But, you know, kind of have you always been into health? Is this kind of been a lifelong journey or, and you've recently, you know, switched gears in terms of like your mindset in the past five years, kind of give us a little background on, you know, what was Zane doing at our age and, and how did you really get so fixated on, on optimizing health? And clearly it's, it's paid off for you. Yeah, it actually, it has been in my adult life, my entire adult life. So I, oddly enough, um, Started just kind of with college, just just working out, just kind of doing your typical. This is back in the like late '80s, early '90s. You know, we we didn't know anything. We didn't have internet. We just kind of just you you listen to the other guys in the gym. It's all bro science, right? And you're you're just eating, you're lifting, uh, and then in my 20s, started traveling a little bit more, and really found myself talking to um, trainers every time I ran into them, uh, reading books about different diets, and really thinking about longevity. I wasn't really much of a 
I, I wouldn't say I was a jock or really into particular sports, but it was always interested in, at that point in my life, started thinking about what is it, what, how do we have to live in order to avoid disease, avoid heart disease, avoid cancer. For some reason, in my 20s, for some reason, I was thinking about this. I have no idea why I started then, but that was just kind of my, um, when I, when I kind of got out away from my, envi- my environment where I'd grown up and really started thinking about what I wanted to focus on, that's what came to light through just curiosity, just personal curiosity, what I read, what I experimented with, experimenting with different diets, juice fasts, doing all sorts of things, even vegetarian diet for like three and a half years. I mean, really trying to make it my own almond milk. I mean, I was one of those freaky guys back then. And you're talking about the early nineties. We didn't have almond milk in the grocery stores. You had to blend up dry almonds and add stuff. And so it was, it was, uh, it's, I guess it's always been a kind of a passion in figuring out, you know, trial and error. Um, but then I guess in 90, 98 or so I started working as a, as a trainer, working with people one-on-one professionally. Uh, to help them primarily lose weight. And I noticed that a lot of my clients, especially if they were f- over 40, the typical recommendations that we have all heard for the last several decades just didn't work, right? They, they just weren't functional. They weren't, uh, they didn't make sense in, 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 in when you really start thinking about them. But they also, they just didn't um, work for helping people lose weight or change their health. And so that's when I started playing with a little more like um, really trying to read alternative uh, information, but um, looking at low carb and that's when the Atkins diet was big. Um, So really digging into that, even though my peers were saying, Hey, this is a fad diet. This is, you know, you need carbs to survive. You have to have carbs to do X, Y, Z. I really found that the, the a low carb approach was much more effective at, at weight loss. And this is 2002, 2003, right in there. So it, it was at that time, you know, fairly, you know, considered a fad diet, even though it had been, it had a history, uh, it was fairly new in the, in the space. And then in 2009, 2010, started thinking about, or, or reading about, um, intermittent fasting, sort of playing with intermittent fasting and then introduce that to some of my clients. And then the last five, six years, really looking at um, the animal-based community and carnivore, just looking at realizing how many nutrients we can really get from uh, animal foods that normally we didn't think that way. You know, traditionally we think of our nutrients or micronutrients coming from fruits and vegetables then realizing, wait a minute, these animal food based foods have a lot of these micronutrients in them. They're much more bioavailable. They're much more uh, accessible to our bodies. And the, um, there's a, there's a really a great deal of benefit from focusing our plate, focusing our meals around animal foods. And I know saturated fat wasn't bad for us. I've been eating whole eggs for 20 plus years. Um, you know, I, I didn't believe any of that about, obviously if I was in the low carb, but I didn't realize realize just how um, micronutrient dense animal foods were until maybe the last six or seven years, and so it's uh, that's I try to I guess allow myself to continue to learn and change and and not get too caught in a particular dogma, if you will. Or uh, I try to try to be open. That's what I love about like doing these podcasts and connecting with people like at the at the retreat. Um, I just find it's a great way to keep learning and moving forward. But that's essentially uh, 25 years in a nutshell, like of the career was, was this move from low carb 
to intermittent fasting to animal base and just playing with those and using all of these as tools to help people find better health. Yeah, I mean, that's I, that's really well said. I mean, it's really interesting because before we were uh, live on the podcast, we were talking about how things change over time and sort of mm. this is now, I think, more discussed now in the health community now more than probably ever before. I'm sure that'll continue to evolve as we've seen it. But people, like you said, seem to latch on to an idea being the end all be all, whether that be low carb diet or intermittent fasting or animal based or carnivore or vegan or whatever. And that's sort of like the end of the journey. Um, and like you said, right. as you explore in your book, which I am now going to get for my father as a father day present father, look out for this. Um, <laughs> but, but it, it is that I think all of these things that you just mentioned, intermittent fasting, low carb, animal foods, I feel like all these things intertwine with each other. And I think they all have a different place for different people at different times and are used in a different fashion. And that's sort of the individualistic view I see now as health. And I'm sure you've discovered this, but I kind of love to get, and we'll probably jump forward and go back as me and Tristan kind of ask different things, but I'd love to know sort of how your idea of what is important at different stages of life evolves and what you've noticed with yourself and maybe even people that you've worked with helping lose weight and stuff like that is what were the things you were noticing? Obviously we know the standard eat less, move more doesn't work for many right. reasons, but why are those reasons so flawed or maybe on a high level too basic and sort of how does that change over time from say someone that's 26, 27, like me and Tristan to going to 50 and on? Well, because it's not a simple math equation. We are, we are, it's biochemistry. And so that means there's a lot more complexity going on with the human body than just um, than adding uh, wood to a campfire, right? Uh, calories are basically a measure of heat from, you know, whatever, how much, you, if you burn that food or burn that, whatever it is. And we just aren't that simple, uh, especially with not, not only with hormones, with insulin or levels of testosterone, growth hormone, uh, whatever's happening to you in your 20s and 30s that allows you to be really forgiving with with your with your lifestyle actually be almost self-destructive to, to some level with your sleep with your diet um, you know we do a lot of dumb things in our 20s right but we can't get away with those things as we get older they have much more of an impact on us because we aren't healing as quickly in our 20 in our 40s and 50s as we did in our, in our 20s um, and testosterone is not as high and growth hormone is not as high. So we cannot recover as quickly. So while those foods or those, the, those lifestyle choices can do damage, you just recover a lot faster when you're younger. Um, the calories in calories out again, also doesn't consider quality of food. Whereas let's say for instance, seed oils. Okay. Which we know are highly inflammatory, but they also, the, we, we can't derive as much true cellular energy from, uh, a polyunsaturated fat as we can from a saturated fat, from animal fat. Uh, and that's just because of the way the, the polyunsaturated fat affects our, our cells and its ability to create ATP. We, we start leaking energy. So there's, there's a lot of complexity with food that uh, with the way it impacts our body hormonally and, and just on a cellular level that we're not taking in consideration or haven't taken into consideration over the last 50 years. And a lot of people still don't even acknowledge if they're claiming that calories in calories out is effective. If you're metabolically healthy, then calories in calories out can be more effective. If you're 
metabolically challenged or you have some a level of insulin resistance, certainly if you're type 2 diabetic, if you're obese, you already have some insulin resistance going on. You have to correct that hormonally uh, through, and that's going to come through food choices, food timing, movement, sleep to change your hormonal balance. Uh, but, and it's far too complex for something as simple as cutting calories to affect um, without doing maybe some damage, without really chasing a lower calorie diet to the point that your own metabolism actually is decreases. So it's your, your better approach is to uh, cons consider calories. You can consider them as, as a component, but don't oversimplify the complexity of your body's biochemistry and, and discount the quality of food or how often you eat or how much you move or the quality of your sleep. And, and it's, and those, the impact of those choices on your body's chemistry. And I think that's, it's kind of a high level way of putting it. Um, we can get specific if you want, but it's, uh, it really is not that simple. It's just look, appears simple with younger people because you're still very metabolically healthy and hormonally, uh, everything's still pumping. Yeah. I, I think that's a great way to put it too. I mean, I think most of the people are still in that calories in calories out camp. They, well, first off they work out like super hard. They're usually under 30 and I feel like it also resonates with people because it gives them like an easy blueprint, right? It's like, oh, if I just, you know, measure my calories and uh, count them and then I know how much I burn, which like you said, these numbers are all, they're basically a best guess at best. <laughs> and yeah. it's like calories, yeah, they're, they're, they're actually measured by, yeah, burning the food and calculating the heat dissipation, right? Like you don't even know how that could differ um, between person to person. And there is like a, what, 20 to 30% tolerance on, on calories on like labels, I think I've seen before, but in general, it's people like to simplify things. Cause then it's like, Oh, I can, I can do that. When in reality it, it is pretty complex. Like you're saying the body is so complex and, and we're just scratching the surface. But the problem is then if it is this complex, like how do you get people to grasp the, the concepts that are important? And you're talking about like meal timing and importance of sleep. So I'm curious, you know, how, how do you convey these messages, you know, to people effectively and kind of what are, what are some simple tips around, you know, meal timing sleeps that are easy to implement that can actually make a big difference? Well, with, with meal timing, um, you know, most people are, if they're, if they're dealing with a metabolic problem, a metabolic syndrome of any kind, they're usually hungry often, or they're eating a lot, eating often. So you want to reduce the frequency of meals uh, just to limit the amount of times you're, you're stimulating insulin. Because if insulin is elevated, you can't really burn fat. And if insulin is elevated, you are, you're perpetuating the insulin resistance. So in other words, if it's chronically elevated. So you want to get insulin levels to come down. The, one, one of the easiest ways to do that is to reduce the number of times you're stimulating it. And with the food quality uh, can also affect the degree at which insulin is stimulated, how high it goes. But frequency is the, is the first way. So if you can get somebody that's eating five, six, seven times a day, just grazing up their day to go to three meals, three actual meals, and then stop eating between each meal, that can be a big step for a lot of people. Like they're not used to it. They don't realize how often they're grazing or snacking 
that can limit the number of times that their insulin is elevated throughout the day. And then with sleep, which can also elevate insulin levels, uh, stress hormones, um, and, uh, and their hunger hormones. So if you can get somebody to get at least seven hours of sleep a night, maybe eight, uh, and start honoring their sleep schedule, not letting Netflix keep them up too late, um, get them to start eating a little, uh, their last meal of the day a little earlier. So their body has time to digest it before they go to bed. Um, those are things that can really uh, impact their, um, hormonal health. Uh, they probably didn't even realize. And it's, it's, it's almost, it's, I, I would equate it to be as important as their exercise or even, uh, food choices. When it comes to the hormones, they're like metabolic hormones. Are you interested in 100% grass-fed, grass-finished bison meat? I'm excited to be a partner with Falls Family Ranches. Based in Wyoming, Falls Family Ranches is raising high-quality bison meat the way nature intended. As a native large ruminant of North America, bison is one of the most nutrient-dense foods you can consume. If you're interested in trying out their bison boxes, Use code Tristan, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, 10, for 10% off your first order. It actually kind of rings true to like some of my experiences I've had with my own health. I mean, in like, uh, I was in January, 2021, I, I found out that I had like really, really low testosterone, which for someone that hmm. was 24 at the time was like crazy. Like my doctor, like couldn't even believe it. Like my total T was like 108 and my free oh T was like 11. And he basically told me like, Hey, you got to like be on replacement probably forever. And I was like, okay. So we did it for a minute. And surprisingly, um, my numbers actually didn't go up at all. Like, I think they got up to like 200 total after like a month and a half of shots weekly. Wow. Um, which is pretty crazy. So I just decided to go off and do my own thing. And so I really started focusing on sleep um, anything to optimize sleep, like light exposure and all this stuff. I started focusing on animal-based foods a lot. This is when I really got animal-based heavy was like late 2021 in the summer. And I just got my T tested and I'm like up to almost 700 total and like 115 free without replacement, which is what I told, was told I'd have to be on. Um, so 115 free. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's, it's <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> so, but it, but it's amazing because I, 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 I was, so I, I also have a very unique background to probably the reasons for those. Like I had eating disorder history and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And actually one of the things I was going to ask you is we've kind of talked about chronic dieting a little bit, mm -hmm. pretty bit. we kind of touched on it about how eating really low in calories, your body will sort of do this reset where it down regulates all these things, all these hormones right. and sort of sets a new baseline. And I actually noticed this long ago, must've been 2017, 2018, where I was still kind of in the midst of my eating disorder, but sort of was weight-ish restored. I was like maybe 130 pounds and I'm 5'9", so like kind of down there, but not, not dangerously deadly. Um, but I noticed I could maintain my weight due to what I'd done to my body with caloric restriction and really crashing my metabolism. I could maintain my weight of like 130 eating 1300 calories a day. And so a lot of people don't tend to believe that story from me that it's possible because if you hear people talk about calories in calories out, you think you just start losing weight. And I don't know how long I could have done that and stayed the same, but 
it scared the crap out of me at the time. And so I feel like I've gone through a lot of these weird hormone swings that normal people maybe would go through into their 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond just really early. And so I had to figure it out like now. So it's really fascinating talking to you about these sort of same things that go on and the results you can see from changing your sleep, changing your workout routine, changing the way you eat and all these things there. They're very powerful. And I'd sort of like your thoughts on on things like HRT for older individuals that are maybe having low T in their late 40s, or early 50s, like people like my dad, not to call him out, but I will. Um, sort of like, what, what are your thoughts on, on those and how can shifting these things, I'm sure you explored in your book, actually help them optimize their own hormone production, their own energy production with ATP and, and stuff like that. Well, you know, that's a, that's a, um, considered a controversial subject for some reason. And there's a lot of people who really pride themselves on not ever having any kind of hormone replacement therapy. Uh, I have a number of clients who are in hormone replacement therapy, both men and women. And it's been a game changer for all of them. Now, what we do say, mention in the book, and I say this to anybody, if you are using HRT or any kind of, you know, any hormone replacement therapy, man or woman, in order to mask bad habits, that's a bad plan. You're going to lose because at some point you're, <laughs> it's not going to be as effective and you're just, you're, 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 you're masking, you're perpetuating bad habits. So start with your habits, get your habits in place first with diet, exercise, and sleep set those basics in place. But at some point, age has an effect. Uh, at some point, no matter what you do, now, there are always genetic anomalies. There's always genetic exceptions to this. For, for people who feel great, they can perform at a high level in their 50s or 60s with um, with a great diet and great lifestyle plan, and they're, and they're fine. They have no symptoms. But the majority of people I've found, and it's it's, it's not about getting gains in the gym. It's not about having big muscles. It's about things like brain fog, personal drive, uh, libido, um, just be creative, just having that energy, that, that, that desire to keep doing new things. Um, that's really where you see the impact of HRT being so helpful to people and changing their lives. Uh, and then, and it, and it does have an effect on their improves their ability to, lose weight when they start putting these other things in place. But I mean, I've seen people who didn't make these changes they are on HRT. You wouldn't know they're on HRT, except that they have a really, they have a lot of energy, but they aren't like jacked. They aren't suddenly getting skinny for no reason. They're not, you know, leaning out. If you don't do the, the right things, you're just going to put on water weight and you might have a little more energy, but you've, you have to do the basics. The HRT is a supplement to help you recover and perform like you might have when you're in your thirties, hormonally, you're still dealing with, you know, old muscles, old joints, you know, you're still dealing with a, a, a nervous system that's been through several decades, but it gives you a bit of an edge, but it's not the same as taking, like you couldn't compare it to taking steroids. You couldn't, you know, like a bodybuilder, bodybuilders consider things like testosterone that you would take for testosterone replacement therapy. They consider that junk. They, they, they wouldn't even, they would barely mess with it because it just doesn't do what they're wanting it to do. So it's not about um, gym gains. And I wouldn't recommend anyone who's, especially if you're like what you were struggling with or anyone in their thirties or, or even early forties, if they haven't tried changing 
um, their lifestyle drastically for a period of time in order to improve their hormonal profile um, to, to go there unless they've really put in the effort. When you're in your late 40s or 50s, um, you can do some things to help improve it and you, you want to get those habits in place. But I do think it's it's very beneficial for most people to I know some people say, oh, that's cheating. Well, what are you cheating? Well, I think you're cheating age, you're cheating disease, you're cheating um, possibly an early death, but you're, you're getting an improved health span. It's giving, a lot of my clients are very career driven or business driven. They have a lot of, they, they own their own business, they, or they're in a corporate situation where they're, they're killing it. They're in the prime of their career in their 50s and 60s, and they're having deals come to them. Their main motivation for staying healthy is to keep working is to keep closing deals, is to keep, and they don't want a health problem to take them out of it. So by putting sleep, diet, exercise in place, and then adding in some HRT, they've got the drive, the creativity, the health to keep them going and being vital and, and making an impact in the thing that's so important to them at a time when their other wisdom and, and influence and experience is like at a peak. And the only thing holding them back is their energy and their body, you know, you know, ability to perform. Um, Plus, they want to have more time with the family. Now they're a time where they can they can maybe relax a little bit, retire, or take trips. So they want to they want to enjoy what they've spent so long building, and they don't want a health you know uh, issue to take them out of it. And so HRT can really help them with holding off insulin resistance, with having that that energy and drive to do all those things. Um, so again, I'm a I'm a fan of it when it's used appropriately. And I know it can be abused and that's, that's never, that's never appropriate, but it, it certainly is not a mask for, um, for bad habits. I think that's a great way to look at it because it's like, well, first off, you got to have all your ducks in a row. And unfortunately, most people are looking for the magic pill or the magic bullet in any supplement modality to just take the shortcut. So I think that's super important to highlight, but I think also you, you brought up a good point in saying, you know, these people, you, know, you get up there in age, in, in your 60s, for example, and then, yeah, you could have one health uh, event, and then really that could send you like downwards for the rest of your life, and you may never get back to the place you were. And you know, it is all about like keep like move it and use it or lose it, and, and that's life. So if you have right. something that can propel you forward to keep on going, then you're going to create this positive feedback loop. And yeah, I mean, you get your health span could increase by a decade potentially because of that, which is fantastic. So just a, a short question is once you get on it, say you're 65 or 60, is that kind of like you're mm -hmm. just committed to doing that for the rest of your life? Is there cycles or? No, no, you're, you're, you're on it. You're on it. Yeah, you're on it. Especially, and women, especially they, I like some women may start with testosterone that might drop before their, uh, where mm -hmm. they hit menopause. And so before their estrogen and progesterone drop, others, it's around the same time. But I mean, it's life changing for women to, to get their progesterone and estrogen back up. They're like, they're, the light comes on again. Like, oh my gosh, I forgot I used to feel this good. That kind of, it's, it's really, they don't want to go back. You, <laughs> they'll give up a lot of things before they give up their hormones because they feel so much better. Uh, they will feel like, just living again. Uh, you are on it because for the majority of men, you get past 50, no matter what you do, your, your best lifestyle, control your stress, sleep in place, your free testosterone is going to be in the single digits. It's going to be below 10. Uh, 
And for some guys, they're fine with it. They're crude. They're they, you know what? This is good. I'm happy here. And others, they're feeling more symptomatic. And why one feels one way and another feels something else, I don't think anybody knows. Uh, but at some point, age takes a toll. And so you can say, well, I, I'm supplementing something that's bioidentical, that's similar to what was already in my body. I'm just taking it up to a level it was two decades before so that I feel like more vital, like I can just keep killing it and to hold disease at bay. And for many people, the alternative to that would be they start having to deal with things like high blood pressure, insulin resistance. So they might, by taking that one bioidentical hormone or with women, three bioidentical hormones that su supplementing those things, they are staving off having to take uh, possibility of medications for blood pressure, for blood sugar, for a number of other things that, that would uh, just be the result of age. Because at some point we all get old, we all start wearing out and that's inevitable, but you can extend your health span and how long you're vital you know, can be, can be decided by your, by many of your lifestyle choices. But at some point things start to, to drop. You get past the age of having to reproduce your body's like, Hey, we don't need this anymore. You know? And it's just, it's just part of nature. Um, so if you want to call it a hack or you, you know, I, I think at some point there are certain functions in our body that just begin to wear out. And whatever we do, whether that happens to you, if you, if you, if you treat your body like crap starts happening in your fifties, that's when a lot of people start paying for the sins of the thirties and forties. But if you keep taking care of yourself, you may not have to struggle with those things until you're in your eighties or nineties. And, uh, I, it, but, but it, it's inevitable at some point we get old and there's things that we just can't, uh, control by lifestyle alone. Yeah, totally. I, I think the, yeah, the slope of the curve, the decline is is determined by lifestyle, but inevitably it's going to, the ball is going to roll down the hill. So I'm, I'm curious while we're on this topic, you know, what are some of the things like the major, you know, detrimental lifestyle habits to like nuking your testosterone? I, this is probably one of the most talked about subjects. I know I see a thread on it on Twitter every single day. Um, but in reality, <laughs> it's true that, you know, what we're, we're declining like 10% on average per decade since you know, the early 20th century. And a lot of that is it's due to diets due to environmental factors. There's a whole slew of toxic soup. What do you outline kind of as like the most important few things to make people aware of? Alcohol is a big one. I think a lot of people who realize that alcohol has a big impact on testosterone levels, um, your frequency of intake of, of alcohol, um, Seed oils have been shown in some studies, which a lot of people don't even recognize, unfortunately, but to lower testosterone levels. And so we have a processed food epidemic. If we have anything going on in this country. We have a, a processed food addiction uh, that has really increased over the last 50 years and instead of just home cooked food. Right. And then what we do get many times, especially uh, in terms of like grain based, is going to be covered in glyphosate. Right. Covered in in. Uh, in Roundup, so to speak, or Roundup Ready. And so you have, we have, like you mentioned, the chemicals in our food, which have been shown to affect us hormonally. We have uh, alcohol abuse, 
which can affect us. So where there's multi multifactorial things that I think that are snowballing. And if you can, I don't know if you can point to just one thing, but we have so many of them. Um, stress will do that. And I think it stress has increased from, you know, uh, sleep being impacted, people working as, as great as it is to work from home, as great as to be able to work remotely. I think you, we've extended our work days and our work weeks uh, where we never really stop. And we're always in front of this, this screen thing, which is fab, fabulous, right? It's amazing. We get to connect with each other, but it has to be managed. And when it starts affecting sleep and circadian rhythm, that's going to affect your hormone levels. Uh, so alcohol, food quality, sleep, big ones, and then a lack of movement. And that we're so many sort of are inside. We're not getting the sun. We're not getting, we're not moving like we used to. We're not as physical. We're, you'll see, we have extreme. We have a certain percentage that are just working out a ton, right? And then we have the majority of the population, which is fairly sedentary. And we have to start, we have to get to, we've gotten to the point where we're counting steps. We're counting that we walked. <laughs> and it's like, wow. As I, I, it's a good habit for people who are starting off. Let's, okay, I count my steps, start paying attention to it. But let's think about that. We have to start counting steps because we don't move enough. Uh, that's, that's really, uh, should be telling that we are, we become so sedentary that, uh, we have to, we have to count steps. We have to, um, have these, I mean, my job as a trainer is, is often just getting somebody to a point, make an appointment, show up to move, to exercise. It might be the only time they move that week is the times that I'm with them. And, uh, that's not, that's just not, we, we don't have the recreational life that we used to as a, as a population, you and I do, we do. Uh, and you've, you've centered your life around it, <laughs> which is amazing, but um, that's not typical. And so I think we see a decline in, in, in the things that we used to do naturally, the things we used to just be part of our lifestyle that they've changed and shifted to more of indoors, sedentary, um, we're, we're medicating either with alcohol or actual, you know, prescription, um, pr prescription drugs. And then our food has been, is mass produced and the people making it don't care about our health. They're, they're, they've got it all wrapped up with, you know, nutrition guidelines and government funding and academic research to make sure everybody thinks that this is the food they're supposed to be eating. And so, um, it, all of those things have, have changed us over the last 50 years to the point that we've, you know, our obesity level has gone from what, 13% in 1970 to now 42, 43%. We're heading towards 50%. That should tell us everything. When, when ne nearly half your population is obese, I, I would expect testosterone levels to be in the, in the, in the tank. Yeah. I mean, and even building on that, like one thing I, I like to pick on as often as I can uh, we're sort of talking about intuition and how intuition has been lost, I think. I feel like we don't intuitively know what it means to be human. We definitely don't know how to intuitively eat, which is spoken a lot about in the primary nutrition space of intuitive eating. Definitely was spoken to me a lot in the eating disorder space about how I should just intuitively eat. But when you grow up in a Western-style diet and naturally are surrounded by all of these foods that are geared to hit your pleasure centers of your brain. Right. They, you really do not know how to intuitively eat because your body is geared on addiction of dopamine hits. And so 
all of these things, all the wisdom of, of our past generations has sort of been maybe not lost per se, but definitely shoved under the rug and not necessarily been put into the forefront like we're trying to do right now. And actually, it's really, it's really amazing how simple, I probably say this every single podcast, but how simple health can be when you remove the noise of modern society and modern norms and think about, okay, what are we built to do? What are we built to eat? How are we built to move? All of these things, it sort of becomes second nature once you implement them. And I always say to people, I talk about this with my dad a lot, and I'm talking about him a ton, but this is sort of the subject of makes me think about him all the time, is that you will make time for what you prioritize. And if you do not prioritize movement or prioritize high level nutrition or prioritize good sleep, then you'll not achieve any of these things, whether you know what you need to do or not, because it isn't simply a priority in your life. And I think it comes down to people having to make those, sometimes they're difficult decisions for themselves to actually start to move the needle and not say rely on a Band-Aid solution. I liked your answer for the for the HRT because I agree with you completely that everyone's going to get old, but the way you get old can be drastically different based on what you did in your 20s, in your 30s, even in your teens if you care to not go out and eat pizza every lunch hour, which I definitely did like to eat pizza. But it's it's all of these things that... I And I, I, the other thing too is I, I, I think what I'd love to hear you talk about a little bit is how you can still make changes that matter. It doesn't matter that you're 55. I mean, it does because you've done damage. There's things you can't change about your past. But I think a lot of people use that 55 or whatever their number is as a reason to do nothing. And I hear it every day. So I'd love to hear like, like we talked about habits. We talked about food a little bit, but also what are things that people can reprioritize in a busy work week? I'm assuming a lot of these people that or in their 50s, sort of work that nine to five lifestyle in the office. How can we sort of reprioritize these things to fit into that lifestyle that we've had for the last 20 years of working in the office? Yeah, that's it's not an easy one. I won't, tell, I won't say it's easy, um, but it has to be, a, it does have to be a priority. If you can fog a mirror, you can, you can change your health. I mean, if you're still breathing, you can make changes that will have an impact. It is going to be slower. <laughs> And if you were to do it in your thirties, your body doesn't recover as quickly. You, um, you know, you, you, you're gonna, you're gonna have to have some patience to undo what you've been doing to yourself for the last several decades, but you can certainly make an impact and you can feel better in a matter of a couple months. Like you can do have noticeable changes in the way you feel in your blood sugar, um, in your blood pressure. I mean, you can really change uh, how you feel very quickly, but how, how you look in the mirror, that may take a little bit longer if, you know, but I think the motivation needs to start with like, I know with, with people uh, like trainers, Tristan, uh, people who, who think about this stuff, you know, as long as we understand the mechanism, we're kind of geeky about this. So if we understand the mechanism, this, if I eat this way, then this will help me we're motivated by the effect, by cause and effect. We understand how something works. We do it. Most people don't think that way. Most people, they have to have something bigger than understanding how something works to make them make a change. They have to, they need to be thinking about, well, what is it you're going to lose 
if your health fades, if you're taken out of the picture, what are you going to miss out on? Again, is it, is it your career? Is it your family? Is it, you know, what is it, your, your, your passion, something you've been waiting to get to be able to do until you got to this point in your life and you're not gonna be able to do it anymore. That's the kind of thing that will get somebody out of bed, make them change the way they eat, uh, make them uh, prioritize their sleep is they got to have a bigger why for themselves, if you want to call it that, a, big, a bigger reason than just, well, like somebody said it works this way. You know, it's they've got to they've got to internalize that motivation to to mean something that's bigger than their food choices and um, a little bit of just, allow them to go into a little bit of discomfort. It's got to be worth it for them to be a little bit make some changes and be a little bit uncomfortable for a, a few weeks while they change their habits. But it can be very simple, like we outline in the book, very simple change to get people started. Like I mentioned, three meals a day putting animal foods at the center of your diet and everything else is whole food, avoid processed food. So if you're having a whole food diet, primarily fatty meat, well, for guys, we're like, yeah, great. Throw some meat on there. I'll eat some piece of fruit or some veggie or whatever it is. And that's fine. They, you know, they, they might say, well, I, I love pizza, but it's like, well, do you love pizza more than you love being able to, you know, your, your health at this point, like what you want to accomplish? Okay, so it's simple changes like that um, and prioritizing sleep, getting 30 to 40 minutes of movement in three times a week. I mean, those are simple things that can really if someone's sedentary, that could be if you have some intense, some sort of resistance training, 30 or 40 minutes, two or three times a week. That can get them started. In a, it's a simple habit that they can make time for, but it will get them started. Is it the is it the end for them in their changes? No. But it's enough to get them to start paying attention to it. And if they start building that habit, then they can they can uh, sustain it long enough to start adding on to it. So basically layer in just enough change that they can sustain. And then once they get that down, try another layer of change. But if you're talking about moving intensely three or four, three times a week for 30 minutes, making sure you get you go to bed on time to get some sleep and uh, eat three meals a day centered around animal foods and whole food start there real those are really simple changes a lot of these guys i know of in, in, in the office they're they're sending out you know the assistant or the like some you know somebody who's you know half their age to pick up lunch for them and bring it back for them well what do you think they're gonna come back with you know somebody's running back with with fast food because it was quick it's easy and, and that's what their salary allows them to eat meanwhile you're the executives making three times what they are four times what they are you can afford to have decent food. You just need to make a priority to have it there. It's just it's just being a little bit of thoughtful, treating their body and their health on the same level that they treat their career or they even <laughs> they treat their cars better than they treat their own body. And so, you know, they're putting premium fuel in it. They're having it detailed. They're making sure as they garage it, uh, they're making sure it's, it's all this maintenance, but they're treating their body like crap. And so it's, it's, it, there's a little bit of change that perspective of why would you, you're doing this to yourself and a few simple changes that you can sustain now will get you, will move you the needle enough that you'll start feeling better. And then you can start leveling them up and they start feeling the changes with just some simple, you know, the changes in how they feel with the simple changes in their lifestyle, then you can kind of start pulling them forward. But the initially it doesn't have to be turning their life upside down. 
It can be really smooth. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's important to not overwhelm people at first. Is also, I mean, yeah. I struggle with this also all the time with with my dad, and I, I think it's right what you're saying. You kind of have to strategize your approach. Almost come at it sounds like from a little bit of a guilt perspective because it's true at the end of the day. And if it's like you know coming from a caring perspective, though. You know, like, hey, you know, I want you to be around for as long as possible and, you know, be present and or, you know, I want you to obtain the career aspirations you want to achieve and and all that. I I think it hits a little harder, but it's it's also just well, it's awesome for you because you're exemplifying that this is possible because for the longest time, people are just like, oh, it's you know, it's not possible to just be healthy and fit after a certain age. So it's like, hey, I'm, oh, here's Zane. I was sending a picture of Zane and my dad. You know, it's like this is this is <laughs> not out of the norm if you just take care of yourself and, and put in the work. But yeah, you can't just overwhelm people with all this information. Um, and yeah, the 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 movement exercise thing I think is almost even more challenging. At least I've noticed because yeah, a lot of you know the gym movement lifting weights it's almost of a slightly younger generation where it became like so popular right i think when my when our parents my ryan and i's parents were you know our age the the only people who are really in a gym all the time were like football players boxers like real athletes so like my dad he goes to the gym it doesn't he just does some like machines and it's just like seems lackadaisical so i'm curious you know what are like really effective ways to get people who aren't experienced uh, don't have an athletic background above the age of 40, 45 to work out and do resistance training? Is there a, a trick or how do, how do you kind of ramp people up into that? Because there's also a lot of concerns. They're like, oh, if I you know lift too heavy, I'm going to injure myself or you know I'm going to get too sore and it's going to hurt. I'm like, oh, that might be a good thing. But, you know. Yeah, that's that's not easy. If someone's really not familiar with it, they, they really need to have someone show them to, to avoid injury because getting injured – when you're older, it takes long. You just it takes longer to come back, and then you're going to discourage them. So, they they might need a few sessions with a trainer or somebody who can show them some basic movements. But it can just be basic movements. And and again, at that age, you also may have some injuries, some old injuries that you're dealing with a bad knee, back issue. So you want to know how to modify movements in order to uh, make them doable, so they don't cause more pain or irritate certain injuries. So that's when it helps to like invest in, you know, an expert, somebody to come and show them some basic movements, but it doesn't have to be some very complicated three day split or some kind of bodybuilder type thing. It could be full body movements of, you know, circuit training through some basic compound movements like, you know, lunging and squatting. It doesn't have to be super heavy either. It should be something that creates some level of fatigue, right? So you have basic uh, compound movements, pushing, pulling, and some, you know, leg movements like squatting or lunging, hip hinges. You could come up with just four or five movements in a workout to start that they feel comfortable with that do a little bit of everything and do that three times a week. They're going to, where they're hitting basically large muscle groups uh, in, 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 in a singular movement. So you can do just a push, a pull, a leg movement, maybe a core, maybe something for a specific part that's maybe needs some work. Like if it's your shoulders, you need a little something special attention, low back, they can do something specific, but some real basic uh, mo- movements that, that don't have to um, 
require a lot of skill and repeat, just rinse and repeat. Just keep doing that until you start feeling better and feeling like you're, you're adding muscle. Then find recreational activity that is not so intense, but you enjoy and, and, and start sprinkling that into your schedule. So then you do the intense stuff, like the, the basic movements two, three times a week, it's 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes. But if you find something recreational that you enjoy, well, it's, I mean, it could be, I don't know, hiking, tennis, just get, get out and move, riding your bike, whatever it is, get out and move on the other days and just find some, something that you really enjoy. That's going to be motivating because it's going to help them. They're not going to feel like it's drudgery. They're not going to feel like it's beating them up. Um, there, there's a lot of other benefit to it, to them from it. And, uh, and it's just movement. And many times that's what they're, they're missing is that's that thing that just gets them out of the off the couch, you know, <laughs> out of the house and moving in a way that is, um, is meaningful and fun for them. And I, I, I just, I really think that's, uh, important to find and it, it may take some trial and error, but, uh, those kind of, that kind of movement, it can't be discounted. You know, it, it really can't. You, get, you only need so much really intense activity. You don't need to spend six hours a week in the gym. But if you spent an hour and a half with some, uh, in a week doing some intense, you know, strength training, where there's, it could be as simple as push-ups and lunges and, and some rowing with a band. It could be that simple. It could be a band work at their in their garage. And then they get outside and they do something they enjoy. That's, um, that could be life-changing. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I couldn't have probably said it any better. It's actually maybe when Tristan was talking about uh, getting people back into working out and our my parents' generation, so people that are in their sort of 50s and 60s right now, it, it made me think of the aerobics era of like the 80s because that's kind of right. what I hear about from, I mean, my mom, I'll, get, I'll come visit over and my mom will be like in their workout room doing like some sort of like video like video workout from like the nineties. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty hilarious, but there are weights involved, but my dad will always talk about like cycling and aerobics. I'd kind of love to get into like the importance of strength training specifically for mm. as you get older to prevent things like sarcopenia. And these are things I talk about with, with my dad and, and pretty much anyone that I run into that, that only focuses, I feel like there's this heavy focus on like, Oh man, I wish I could get back on the bike or get back running or, and those are all great. Those are great activities and they're great movements because I mean, let's face it. Like if you look at the generations of look at people back in the thirties, forties, like not a lot of people are weightlifting, but there are also weren't 50% of people weren't obese. And so there's all these factors that play into health, but sort of like the importance of strength training as you age, I think becomes even more important. So I'd love to sort of get into some of that and, and why that is and stuff like that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, it's a hormonal downward spiral that uh, becomes more difficult to hang on to muscle. So you definitely have to make time for strength training. And, and I think it's, it may, it may, you know, require more time to recover. I don't think like, again, you don't need the five day split bodybuilder style routine, but something that just stimulates muscle and then feed it properly. Make sure you're taking enough protein because as we get older, we also don't absorb protein as effectively as we did when we were Younger, so we might need to eat a little more protein. I mean, I, I try to get people to aim for one pound of, or one, excuse me, one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight at minimum, let's say 0.75 grams per, per, 
pound of ideal body weight. So if, you know, if you're weigh 200 pounds, that'd be like 150 grams of protein. So as a minimum for a guy, let's say, and for women, it wouldn't be too far off. I know I've just interviewed a 60 year old, uh, woman who is very fit. She does lift weights five days a week. Uh, and she's weighs 120 pounds and she eats 145 grams of protein a day. And that's what keeps her, um, recovering right from her strength training. Uh, and she looks amazing. She was absolutely amazing or not that I would say her diet is spot on perfect, like the way I would design it, but it was good. And what she does is, is effective and it's working for her. So I wouldn't even begin to try to tell her to do something different because she's killing it. And so it doesn't have to be perfect, but some level of strength training, I think three times a week, full body is a good way to get a lot of people just moving. So if they only get twice, at least they hit everything twice in a week. I think that frequency of strength training, hitting a, a muscle group um, more than two or three times within a week really adds to uh, muscle retention. But really, they're, they're just trying to hang on. They're not, most of them don't need to put on 20 pounds of muscle, right? And, and that'd be really difficult to do at that age. But just hanging on to that muscle, keeping it metabolically active, insulin sensitive, uh, is really benefited by some sort of resistance training, something where they're fatiguing at a point of, say, within... 20 reps or less, that muscle is like, I can't do anymore, or they're close to fatigue. But they, but they doesn't have to be a six hours a week for them to retain that muscle. It can, it can really be if they're, if they're moving through it, if they're not spending a lot of time on, you know, chatting and, and, and sitting there resting in between every set for, th for three minutes, um, they can get it done in 30, 40 minutes of some, like I said, compound movements. Those are the best because you're going to be able to move the most weight the most muscle is being engaged, not worry about trying to like, Oh, I'm gonna do my forearm workout and do six sets of forearms or, you know, it's, it's like it, it, we, we, the bodybuilder might, which might be what like people my age or older, that's what they're familiar with. And that's what they think weightlifting is about because that's what we saw a lot of was the bodybuilder stuff back in the seventies and eighties and functional training, functional fitness really was not a thing then was not, there was, there's no awareness of it, but it's things that, Movements that really um, help you move through life better, like I said, the squatting, the lunging, just pushing and pulling. It, it, it can be that simple uh, as long as they're consistent uh, and making sure get, they're getting enough protein in, they can avoid the sarcopenia. And then again, on, on the back end of that, again, <laughs> sleep, which often... Once we get past, uh, say, 50, most, most of the guys I know that are past 50, sleep is their biggest struggle. They have a hard time maintaining decent sleep. Uh, sorry about that. That's, do you hear the dog? <laughs> uh, but it's uh, sleep is a factor that uh, really starts to become more difficult for people as they get older. And so, especially men. And I think just prioritizing it in a way that um, honors that the time when they're supposed to go to bed, that honors the, the fact that they have to maybe start calming down. They don't need to work right up to the point that they're going to bed. And so uh, they need to allow their body to relax and then and get in a state, protect, you know, as we talked about earlier, circadian rhythm, get sunlight early. Those are little things you can add on as they get farther down the road. But I, I wouldn't want to complicate someone's initial steps into 
um, into their lifestyle changes by giving them a list of things to do around, you know, circadian rhythm, get light in your face first thing in the morning. I, I would say start off with strength training, getting enough protein. And then once that becomes a habit, hey, how's your sleep? Here's some things we can do to improve your sleep. So you're not, again, as Tristan said, not overwhelming them with a lot of details that seem like, oh my gosh, I have to do all these new things. I don't have time for this. Uh, so it really is a stair step. But the, but the strength training a few times a week and getting enough protein really uh, is you're, you're 80% there <laughs> with just those two things at maintaining muscle mass. It's like you got, it's like you're going fishing. You got to like bait, you got to have a good hook in the line. You got to be patient and then, but you can't yank too hard or else you're going to, you're going to lose, lose the fish real quick. Right. So I, I think that goes to anyone, but I I agree that I think it especially goes for people who are, you know, more advanced age. Um, They feel more experienced, like they know more things. That's why it's kind of harder to crack that shell. So you got to be even more and more delicate about it. Um, but yeah, sleep, I, like, what do you think is like, what should people be striving for at that, you know, that age is, I, I feel like the average male adult probably sleeps, sleeps five and a half hours a night. I just made that up, but it sounds like very accurate. I'm pretty sure it's, it's pretty close. Um, because that's like the normal. And to me, that seems outrageously low. Um, but do you think there's like a happy sweet spot? I, I know I, as you age, you, you know, your melatonin levels, you won't produce as much melatonin. Of course, that's the same thing as testosterone. It's a hormone that you're producing. It's going to go down with age, but that slope is determined by lifestyle. However, I, I think people underestimate, oh, I'm good on like four or five hours. Like that seems crazy to me. Is, is there something that, you know, you shoot for personally? Um, and does that, how does that change with the seasons or, or what you're doing? I shoot for seven hours. Uh, now in that seven hours of, of trying to get some sleep, except the weekends I might allow myself a little more time, but I'm, I'm up early with clients, right? So uh, during the week. So I shoot for seven and I, I use an aura ring to monitor my quality of sleep. So I try to look at deep sleep. REM sleep is usually not a problem. It's usually getting the, enough deep sleep that this seems to be an issue or uh, waking up and not be able to, get back to sleep, which I think is probably more of the, the issue with a lot of the um, older men, their cortisol levels start going up early, raises their heart rate and wakes them up at three, 4 a.m. They can't get back to sleep. They're restless. They just get up. Um, and I think that's a stress factor with a lot of men and, and it is, a, and it relates to their circadian rhythm, which you rarely can you just point to one thing with circadian rhythm. It's, it, it could be, it could be meal timing. It could be how much sunlight they're getting during the day or in the evening. It could be when they actually worked out. It could be how late they ate, how long they were on the screens at night. There's so many things that affect our, our circadian rhythm. And it's rarely just one that's causing the problem because our bodies would probably adapt if it were just one, but when you have all these things snowballing on top of the fact that we're not producing as much melatonin, uh, you, you, it really is. I think that's the last, like the big frontier that we're, that people are moving into where it's, they're really trying to figure out this component that used to be so simple for us when we just moved with the sun. When, when the sun came up, we got outside, we were doing things, we were exposed to sunlight and we ate when we got up and we moved when we got up. And then when the sun went down, everything else settled down. 
and so we've so moved away from that, that, um, it can take, and it can take a while when you start making these changes for your body to correct itself, to correct that circadian rhythm. It doesn't just happen in a week or two. It's, it's really can, um, take a long time to, to shift that cortisol spike. Um, I found personally, a lot of the intermittent fasting I was doing affected that circadian rhythm in my cortisol levels. And so I've had to back off on the amount of intermittent fasting and fasted workouts I was doing because of the stress level in order to correct it. Does that mean intermittent fasting was bad or fasted workouts were bad? No, I just over leveraged that stressor. And we have to consider all of these stressors in our life. Some we're, we're using to try to lose weight or to improve our, our endurance or uh, improve some aspects of our health that we think it's a good thing and that's exercise or intermittent fasting or, or something like that, or low carb. But we have to look at that in the big picture of job, of family stress, of uh, other things that may be going on, as well as age, and realize, okay, I've got, these are all stressors. Some are good. Some I can't control. Uh, and, we, and we have to manage in light of all of those and, and, and not try to like hit everything as hard as we can, like we might've done in our twenties and thirties where we could hit everything as hard as we could with a hammer, right? It might need some, some to be more delicate, might need to let off the gas in some areas for a season while you're adjusting, where you're dealing with a stressful situation. And, uh, I think all of those, it's what we do during the day that affects our sleep so much. And we, we really have to think about, Oh, you know, we, we felt, we feel helpless because it's like, well, well I'm unconscious. How can I affect my sleep? It's everything we do during the day that in, impacts our sleep. And uh, I think, like you said, that the five and a half hour average is you're probably not far off. Five and a half, six hour average. But the health effects of that are clear that you're going to have insulin resistance, high blood pressure, high risk of heart disease and diabetes, um, dementia. You know, those, those these are major health risks from from staying in that, in that, um, place in that area of poor quality sleep for a long period of time. And in fact, in, hormonal changes start to take place within I, what, what I've seen in studies within five days of, of having low quality, like say less than five and a half hours of sleep for five days, you start seeing higher blood sugar, higher insulin levels, um, hunger hormone is stimulated cortisol's elevated. So it's nothing to discount. It's nothing to say, well, I'll sleep when I'm dead. That was, that was the thing when I'm in the eighties, right? I'll just push through. Uh, that was the mindset. And, uh, I, I really think we have to, um, with my generation and older, uh, readdress that because it's certainly, uh, not the case. It's not true. We, you cannot, <laughs> you cannot live without it, especially as you get older, but you cannot live without good quality sleep and have, and have good quality health at the same time. Um, that's a bit wordy, but it's, it's something I'm, I'm dealing with myself and realizing I have to rethink the way I approach my workouts, my eating schedule, um, and how much sunlight I'm getting, you know, make sure I'm getting out in, in the evening and walking as well as getting sunlight early as possible. Uh, these are, these are things that the healthy of us have to pay attention to or because it's so easy in our current culture, the way we, the way we work 
to for them to be uh, you basically your skating rhythm to be shifted uh, out of place and find yourself staring at the ceiling at three thirty in the morning with your heart rate up like you're running around doing your your daily business you know I've certainly struggled with that actually myself like it was one of the biggest things and it was one of those things too where I actually never really paid attention to how bad it was until I learned that it was bad for me that that was happening. And so sometimes in certain situations too, while knowledge is power, it can also be to a detriment. And like for me, I was like using my aura ring every single day and I was so focused. I'm like, oh man, like why is my deep sleep like this one night? And then it's like this the next night. And then it became a little overwhelming. So I actually had to take it off and stop using it and sort of go back to a little bit of intuition. I started sleeping better again. So that's that all goes back to sort of easing people into these ideas of thought and sort of having them focus on it because like if you give them too much stuff it freaks them out and then even if they're into it and want to do it all the focus on that can actually raise their cortisol inadvertently and i think cause problems too and i think switching off is probably like you mentioned for especially older adult males who are still sort of maybe they're they're kind of not quite at retirement but they're kind of next 10 years going to get there they're so 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 i mean i see this in my dad all the time just so work driven that they're working until 9, 10, 11 every night. And they don't give them themselves any decompression time to allow that cortisol to come back down. And so they're not even giving themselves the chance. And so their night is already set up for failure. But it's, it's a lot of basic things that I think people can do. I mean, they don't got to get as crazy as like, got to, you know, whip your balls out in the sun every day and get sun everywhere and all this crazy stuff that you see online. It's, it's actually very, I think it's very simple sometimes. I think we like to complicate it. But uh, sleep's one of those things, I think, definitely. I was actually just Googling it, too, to see what the average sleep time was for, like, the average adult male. And I couldn't even get, like, a straight number. It just said most people sleep less than seven hours. So you're probably close. It's probably, like, between five and a half and six-something, just from what I've seen talking to other people. But I, I think there's that misnomer that you can get by with six or less hours of sleep. And I think you can get by, but you're kind of in the downward hill direction on this getting by. And then also you're just running on cortisol and adrenaline the next day. And I don't think people realize, like you mentioned with blood sugar and hunger and all this stuff, you wake up after a bad nights of rest and there've been studies done. Your insulin can be reactive as much as a diabetics is the next day from just a couple nights of bad sleep without even being diabetic in the first place. So it's super dramatic on all of these things. So it is a good thing to focus on, I think, for people, even on a very basic level of just unwinding at the end of the day. I mean, we mentioned things like diet, sleep, movement, all of these things. What are some of the things as you were sort of going through this book with Ken Berry that are maybe the least talked about subjects as far as like optimizing your health as you get older that you don't think get enough forefront in the space? Like obviously there's all the calories and stuff that we talked about before and the way nutrition is going. But what are some things that you think definitely need a little more attention in in that segment of the space? Well, we addressed, I mean, we kept it pretty simple because we we were taught, we figured we were talking to most of the people were were probably going to be at a entry level or possibly a, um, you know, they kind of weekend warrior type, you know, they, they work out, they think they eat pretty well. Um, but we, we wanted to keep it, they say doable steps. And, but we do get into, 
um, which I think is still underestimated. You and I, we, we here understand it, but the impact of the seed oils, right? The processed oils that are so inflammatory and the impact of those. And so we get in there and break down what um, kind of the history of those seed oils. We correlate, we show the correlation between the, the entry level, entry of those uh, oils into our food system and our consumption of them with uh, the, the increase in heart disease, obesity, diabetes. And I think people underestimate that we know we're supposed to avoid sugar. We probably don't want to eat a whole lot of starch if we're trying to lose weight, but we don't realize yet uh, because there's such a, there's been such a push to avoid saturated fat and such a push on these polyunsaturated fats. People really don't realize, and, and people, all people, like from doctors all the way down to, you know, nutritionists, the impact of these, that these oils are having on every aspect of our body. And so I put like 55 studies in the back of the book is a reference section full of studies. And there are some of them just on saturated fat, they don't sleep, alcohol, waist circumference. I mean, things like that, exercise, but I've got about 50 plus in there around all of the impact of seed oils and it hits everything from fatty liver disease, heart disease, um, asthma, uh, hormone levels, testosterone levels. And they're just, they're wholly underestimated in their impact. And so of removing those from our diet, uh, and let's say going back to the way we would have eaten a hundred, 120 years ago, whole food, right? Minimal processed food, very little processed food is almost non-existent, right? Uh, the oils don't exist. We're cooking with tallow. We're cooking with butter or lard even. And the, the tolerance, think about what people might've eaten on a farm, say in the mid 1800s, they were, they were still eating starches. They were eating, they were cooking, they were raising wheat and they were cooking with wheat. They probably had a drink here and there. They, uh, worked hard physically, but so they had stress. They had the stress of the elements. They had the stress of survival, but they didn't have these, this processed food with all of its ingredients, right? In, in the processed sugar, processed grains, and the processed oils in their, in their, in their uh, food system. And I think we've underestimated, we're, we're so focused on the macros, right? Oh, it's a keto friendly food or it's a low carb food or it's got heart healthy food. And, and, and without looking at what's the food made of. And I, I, it sounds simple to us. It sounds like a no brainer, but it's not to your average person that if it's in a box, a bag or a bottle, it's probably got something in it that you don't want in your body. And it needs to be minimal. It needs to be a minimal part if it's on a single ingredient food, if it's like milk <laughs> or, you know, if it's not an apple or a piece of meat or isn't just tallow, you know, or something like that, um, you are, you are kind of playing, you're, you're risking, you're putting your health at risk with that food. You don't know what the impact of some of those ingredients are because we're told it's safe. It's FDA approved. It's been it's past academic research and like, Hey, this is the stuff we're supposed to be eating. And we, we really try to, uh, I think that's a, the biggest leverage point that people have is, is changing their food to something that, that just like it would have come off a farm 
150 years ago. You know, it's a, it's a single ingredient. It's a whole food. And until you get those, those things down, the food, the sleep and the, and the movement, the biohacks are almost <laughs> like inconsequential. You can't sauna and cold plunge your way out of a bad diet. We used to say you can't outrun a bad diet. I was like, you can't sauna, cold plunge and, and peptide your way out of, of a really crappy diet and, 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 and drinking, you know, two or three, having two or three drinks, four or five nights a week. You, you, you just can't. And uh, so I don't know if that really answers your question, but that's what we, we really focus on just those three elements in a way that, that those three levers will get you like 80, 90% of the way to the health improvements that you want. Um, those, those other things are great. I love sauna, cold plunge, peptides are brilliant. I think they're coming on. But again, there you're, if you lean on those to mask the first three, the three foundational areas that we need to focus on, you, you, you're, you're not going to have a whole lot of success. And so we really kept it that simple to, to not overwhelm people, to not say, oh, now you've got to do a cold plunge twice a week and you need and the cold showers in between and make sure you get an infrared sauna to it's like those are all wonderful things but again we're, we're talking to 50 year old men <laughs> they like simple they like condense they like pictures and so it's just because that's 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 what we are and so uh that's that's kind of where we kept it and because you can get a lot of you get a lot of leverage out of those those three areas I think that's I think that's a really smart way to convey the message. I mean, you have to be simple, you have to be concise, but then you kind of provide that deeper dive, the history onto convincing them why. Because yeah, again, if you overwhelm people, they're just gonna get lost. And that's the problem with the biohacking community is right, there's all these gadgets, they're really expensive, you think you just buy your way to health. It doesn't work like that. But I also think it's really refreshing mm. exactly what you said about, you know, what grew on a farm in the 1800s, right? And, and you're talking, yeah, they probably consumed some, some carbs and some starches, some wheat. You know, these things aren't inherently evil. It depends on your metabolic state. Obviously, if you're pre-diabetic, diabetic, like you, you shouldn't be eating, you know, bananas. And I mean, you probably shouldn't right. be eating bananas if you live in like Wyoming anyway. But in general, I, I think it's nice <laughs> to have your background, right? Like you've gone through all this diet dogma your whole career, your whole life. So you kind of are able to pick apart when it gets to that dogmatic stage. And I think carnivore and animal based have arrived there quite readily and still be like, all right, I mean, I saw a tweet yesterday. It's like fruit is evil. And then you have Saladino saying like fruit is great. But, you know, he's in Costa Rica. Yeah. We're not there. It's nuance it's nuance it's being able to think hey if i had a farm right here right. in the 1800s what would we have grown what would we have eaten what do the farms around here actually grow and yeah wheat for example is, is totally different now because of glyphosate because of gmos than the the 1800s but you have to take that context into consideration so i i think that what you said is, is i just want to kind of summarize that and give that feedback because it's it's really important yeah, I'm in no way saying go, yeah, go eat no, bread and, <laughs> and starch, and uh, I'm in no way saying that. What I'm saying is there was a there was a, a tolerance for a balanced diet back when when yeah, people were making exactly. their own food, and it's because it hadn't been it hadn't been so bastardized. It hadn't been it become so processed that people knew where their food came from. They, if they didn't grow it, they got it from their neighbor who was yep. growing it, and they traded for it, right? Um, 
they were eating saturated fat. They're eating animal based food. They, they would never have gone without meat unless they absolutely had to. They were starving, but they could grow potatoes, right? Or they could grow. And those things were not inherently, there was no type two diabetes. There was no obesity. There was no uh, heart disease at that point. Uh, we, and it was a, and there was a balanced life and it was a hardworking life. They were outside, sun up, sun down, they were moving. So there's a lot of things that have changed. Um, but I just, I wanted to focus on that because people seem to discount. We focus on if it's, oh, is it protein? Is it low carb? Is it this? Is it, or, you know, in the eighties and nineties, it was low fat. Um, we get caught up in those kind of details without thinking about, is this actually a food? Is this actually something that my body was supposed to ingest and use for nutrients? And I think you're right. Geographical, uh, you know, sort of, um, relevance, you know, to where you are in the climate, it's cold or it's hot, you know, is it, is it more of a dairy and meat and potato kind of place? Or is it a, is it a, a, a fish and tropical fruit and, you know, uh, kind of place like, like Costa Rica, those, those things can make an impact, but, but on a simple granular level, you know, food is, is just, it, it's taken on a new meaning, unfortunately, in the wrong direction. And, uh, and it's, and if you have to turn it, like you said, turn a disease around, turn a metabolic syndrome around obesity and, and you know, insulin resistance, you're going to have to step on the gas a bit more. You're going to have to do some things that are a little more, I don't want to say extreme, but there, you're going to have to be a little more disciplined to be more consistent in what you restrict in order to change your metabolic profile or your metabolic health before uh, you can eat something that's more balanced, even if it is whole food, you, you, you may have to make some adjustments that aren't considered normal uh, in order to, to, to get your body hormonally balanced again. And hundred percent agree with you on that. Um, and so I want to, yeah, I'll make sure that, thank you for clarifying that. I didn't want, want to make people think. They yeah, no, you. no, of course I, it does. It, it matters right? the context matters. So I think it's a great way to, to wrap up that yes. whole like nutrition and the food side of things. And the last question I have for you is, you know, hmm. um, different topic, but I think just as important today is, you know, you're a father. How many, how many kids do you have? Three, two, four, four. Wow. Even better. So you have four, four kids. And I'm curious, how have you thought about how you raised your children, your family, uh, over the past, you know, 10, 15 years, how has that evolved? I think this is one of the most, you know, overlooked aspects of what's changed in society, schooling, you know, public education, how you pass down actually this fundamental knowledge that like Ryan said, has kind of been lost generation over generation. And yeah, I think you're a great role model for that. So I would, I'm curious on how you've thought about that and kind of how you've changed some things in the past, maybe few years. Just everything, you know, how are you, how are you kind of teaching them the values of what you believe in the importance of nutrition and health, you know, getting outside um, and, and teaching them these values and so they can corroborate that to their lives as they get older and kind of pass that along. Yeah, we, we uh, my wife and I have always said we, one of our biggest motivations for wanting to be more successful, make more money was to be able to afford better food. And, uh, and again, I've, I, I've been, you know, I ate whole eggs for 20 plus years starting in the, in the nineties, you know, every day. And it was, it was demonstrated through, um, 
through what I ate, but also what I made for them. Like I'd get up early before I left to see clients, I'd make their breakfast and it was like eggs and, and, you know, fruit and things like that. It was, it was, it was whole food. Like, so we cook a lot in our house and that was demonstrated. And we didn't, we didn't go to restaurants a lot unless it was like we were somehow traveling to a sporting event or just something on the road where we had to, but we, we tried to bring um, whole food as much as possible. And I would, you know, they, they see me, I lead by example. I so I don't always start by preaching, but they'll see my plate and go, but you're not eating this now. No, I'm not eating that now because this is this, I started feeling this X, Y, Z and, Oh, and so I, and we taught them to cook on some level, um, and packing their lunches. So not eating the school lunches, but the, you know, you're taking your lunch to school, what they do with it when they got there. They start trading it out, you know, from I understand our sandwiches were pretty popular and in, in, in the cafeteria as far as, you know, trading out stuff. But um, I have three, three of my kids are in their 20s at this point. I have one younger one that's a kind of a latecomer and he's definitely a meat eater. He'll kill a he'll kill a one pound ribeye. No problem at 10 years old. But, um, you know, we weren't overly dogmatic or strict. There were things we tried to avoid and limit with them and then focused on you know, whole food eating, definitely, um, lots of meat around the house. I'm constantly cooking meat. There was always meat available, but not being overly dogmatic about it because, um, I wanted to demonstrate it and then let them see it in me and how it played out. And they, and they have in that they've seen that my health is quite different than their friends, the parents of their friends. And they started getting comments about our health and the kind of fitness we were in, the shape we were in from their friends, even in high school. So their friends were like, you're, that's your dad. That's your mom. They, oh my gosh. They, how old are they? You know, that they started getting those comments even in high school and college a lot more. Um, and my, and my son, who's like, you know, I'm definitely one of the older parents at, the school, you know, and being in our fifties, we got a kid in elementary school and, uh, there's a, he sees the difference already at 10 years old and his friends mention it. And so I think that really played a, a role in the fact that they could compare to the point. <laughs> it's funny. You mentioned that is our oldest is 27 now and she lives in LA and she's, she's kind of living that life and she's always she's super adventurous and we've always encouraged it. Uh, but, she was on uh, speakerphone with with my son and my and my mom and my wife, excuse me, and, her, and his mom in the car, and the subject came up, and she said, "You've got listen. What do you do? Listen to mom and dad. They're awesome. I know it's annoying. I know you don't want to eat this stuff, but this is this. Trust me, they know what they're talking about when it comes to food. They know what they're talking about, and it was like, well, I'd expect to hear that for another ten years, you know, but it was." Um, it's refreshing to hear them, even though they pushed back, you know, because they're, they're kids as teenagers are pushing back because all their friends are eating crap. Right. And even their twenties eating crap. Uh, but refreshing to hear that they're as, as they got older, they noticed a difference and they understood what real food looked like. And so once they had to make those decisions for themselves, uh, they knew what it looked like. They knew what it was supposed to look like. So because it, it was modeled for them. And uh, that's to me, I mean, that was like that tells me, OK, we did something right. Not making it like a concentration camp, 
in a sense, you know, not being overly militant with him, but by leading by example, showing the outcome and being and, and always making the healthy food or the food that we knew they should be eating as the priority, but not, um, like I said, overly restricting the things that kids just want to indulge with, you know, and that's that was just our approach. I know a lot of people, they, they keep it a very super pure environment and their their kids are eating just like the way they do and and that's that's fine for them we just didn't do that we we weren't that overly um dogmatic about it but we always prioritize whole food and cooked at home and uh avoided eating out when we when we could you know and so that was that was a it it seems to have paid off uh, and I have my youngest daughter, who's 21 now. She's in college. She's, I mean, she'll get up early. She'll go to the gym for a couple hours and go work, then go to class. She's making like little egg bites that she puts in the fridge for snacks. And she's, and it's like at 21, she's meal prepping all on her own. <laughs> and so uh, apparently, you know, uh, it's, it trickled down and, and, and paid off. And we, we, we said it, we set a good example. Um, so, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really happy with, um, the way that played out. Cause there were times when I wondered, to be honest, it's like, oh boy, how long is it going to take them to figure out that this is not, not helping them? This is, this is going to, are they going to have to like put on 20 pounds before they realize that this, this garbage is not, uh, paying off, but uh, they, they get it. Yeah, no, that actually reminds me a lot about how about how I grew up because we always prioritize home cooked meals and and whole foods, like generally speaking, like for for main meals of the day growing up. But we also never had restrictions. Like most of my friends loved coming to my house because we did have the processed fun foods around. Mm. But because my parents still prioritized whole foods for our main meals, we never went, me and my brother never went crazy really on processed junk. Whereas a lot of my friends, when they would come over would straight up like binge in front of us because mm-hmm. they never had access. And so I felt like going into adulthood, I had more of a, more of a managed approach at least of sort of what meal structure looked like versus being in this really repressive environment, which didn't work out for some of my friends, not saying that that doesn't work for some people, but that's right. sort of the environment I, I lived in was sort of led by model example and then all that kind of other stuff. So I do have one last question for you. We are decentralized radio. Decentralization is part of the thing that we discuss. It is in the title. Um, so I'd love to ask you how you have sort of decentralized your life in any aspect and sort of why that's been important to you and maybe even some areas you think you want to improve on. I'd love to know. Wow. <laughs> Decentralize my life. Um, you know, I, well, I, I'm noticing, so I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I'm asking your question, answering your question directly, but I noticed as you probably have as well, there's a lot more monitoring of, uh, there, cities are beginning to monitor, right? The impact of the, 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 the climate footprint of people's purchases in terms of meat, clothing, whatever else it is. And that's, um, that's alarming. <laughs> that's shocking. total government overreach. Um, and so I think, you know, I've, I've purchased um, meat from a local a guy who I'm a, a friend of a client. He was butchering a couple of cows, purchased meat from him, uh, tried to do the farmer's market, you know, raw, raw dairy, uh, those kind of things, you know, where I'm, I'm 
I'm aware of the fact that we need to facilitate local um, markets for this and demand for this and, and awareness. And so when we have a, we have a local producer who can give you what you need, let's, let's keep them in business rather than trying to order from something five States away. Um, That's, I don't know if that's a decentralization, but I think, I think understanding that um, at some point there, unless there's a big push, everything we do is going to be monitored, (laughs) including purchases with, um, with any card at any store. And so those little cash purchases with local farmers and local providers of the food we want, I think is, is really a first step in doing what we can to make sure we have that, that market, uh, available to us when, um, when we see maybe the major chains or the major distributors start to, you know, restrict those things or, or track, um, we are, uh, it's funny as you said that we are, um, hosting an event here in, uh, Nashville on June 2nd at the Bitcoin uh, park in Nashville. So it, which is a kind of a, a beginning of the Bitcoin community here in Nashville. And we're hosting a, it's really, it's a, it's a health, old health summit. And one of the guys coming down is a good friend of mine, uh, Jay Gillanello. He's at perpetual health co on, on Instagram. And his, the topic of his, um, the subject he's covering in our health summit is the C, I think it's C40, is that what they call it? The, the, the C40 plan or the C, the city plan around that is monitoring all of this. this uh, and he's living in New York City. So he, firsthand, you know, they are, you know, the mayor's like like wanting to track purchases and they already have meatless Mondays and, and vegan Fridays in their schools. Criminal, right? Absolutely criminal. Um, so the topic of conversation that he's addressing is going to be on this decentralization uh, on the fact that there's a big push to monitor our purchases in terms of the effect on climate, but with meat and so forth, meat, dairy, and those kind of um, basically traditional foods. And so I think getting that, helping people understand that, getting, you know, facilitating those kind of um, events where we can get people to talk about this and make that a forefront. Like, look, this is, there's an actual push towards, limiting your access to real food because it's not as profitable for the people who are <laughs> or selling the processed food and they have enough control and influence to to facilitate um, mandates like this and to put money in the pockets of the politicians who are going to put this stuff in place. So in terms of uh, decentralization, I think we start with awareness of that this is a real thing. This is not this is not a a fringe concern. This is something that's going to impact the groceries you bring home from the store, and the government's awareness of where you're you're spending, you know, how you spend your money, where you're spending your money. Um, that's not okay. That's, that's definitely, that's, that's an overreach that nobody should be okay with and we shouldn't be complacent about. So <clears throat> that kind of works where I'm, I'm using more cash to purchase those things. I am um, really though, I think is, is just the awareness is getting that awareness out there and facilitating those kind of events and those kind of voices um, to be pulled into more of a mainstream uh, conversation.
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I, th- I think you're more decentralized than you realize, Sane. I mean, you you know, first off, have your health in a good place. That's very decentralized. You're not relying on the traditional healthcare system, and you're also you know employ- employing yourself. You're empowering others yeah. to improve their health and not be reliant on the system. You're buying food locally. You're definitely aware. I'm really excited. Wish I could join the Odd Health Summit. Uh, probably will be over by the time this gets out, unfortunately. But excited for you guys, Nashville. I've heard great things about Bitcoin Park and the intersection of meat, health, Bitcoin, regenerative ag. It's yeah. really exciting for me, of course. And Meat Mafia, you'll meet those guys. They're great. You're, I think you talked to them already. But yeah, um, oh, yeah. it's exciting stuff. So thanks so much for coming on. Let people know where they can find you and your book. Remind everyone the title, where it's oh, sure. at on Amazon, I'm assuming. But yeah. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's called Kicking Ass After 50. It's, uh, it's paperback and we just got the ebook up finally over nice. the weekend. So the ebook is live. We'll be working on Audible soon uh, with with a little bit of banter, a little bit of discussion over and above the text. So we'll hopefully make it more interesting uh, in addition to the, to the text, of course. Um, I'm most active on Instagram at Zane Greeks Fitness. And then my website, zanegreeks.com, will have uh, links to podcasts, YouTube, anything else you want to find me on. There'll be a link to it at zanegreeks.com. So that's the simplest way to get to me. But uh, but Kicking Ass After 50 is, is on Amazon. And if you want to follow my content, at Zane Greeks Fitness on Instagram. Awesome. Sounds like the perfect Father's Day present, as Ryan mentioned earlier. So I'm going to, sure. maybe that'll help my dad another step in the right direction, also. But thanks again, Zane. I appreciate you coming on. It's a great conversation. Thanks, and thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Decentralized Radio. See you next time. Mm-hmm.